Freedom Center, again, man, it's just so good. Uh, so many good things are happening, and I, I want to report to you because I think a lot of what we're hearing right now is a lot of bad things are happening, and that's true. There's a lot of hard times. We're talking about that today and how we as people of, of faith, with faith in God, can get through hard times. But I want you to know there's some pretty cool things happening. We already talked about, you know, what's been happening with kingdom builders and the investment of people into other people and how God has blessed that. But I also want you to know something else. In the last two months, um, as church uh, the statistics have gone in the United States, the average church it has seen, 49% of them have seen an increase in attendance. People are coming back to this, back to a corporate setting. They're making it a priority. It's, they're not too busy for it anymore. They're looking for roots in their faith. And you think about it, just, just two months ago, 8%, so less than one out of 10 churches reported growth. And now today, one out of two churches are reporting growth. So I just want you to know that I think with all the difficult things that are happening, God is doing some pretty amazing things. People are responding to his love. People are kind of returning to that unshaken base, that, that foundation. And so as we continue our study today on faith, I just want you to know that, that you know, people are sitting in the chair. Remember the chair illustration we talked about, putting your faith in that foundation? People are putting their faith in Jesus. Good things are happening. So God bless you. I've been praying for you. Dina and I, we love you, and we are excited about today. So open your Bibles today to Hebrews chapter 11 as we talk about just kind of a recap briefly of what we understand when God talks about faith. When the writer of Hebrews, we don't know if it's Paul or somebody else, or for the sake of this teaching, I'll just say the writer of Hebrews because we don't really know. There's no author that claims it. The writer of Hebrews leads us to a deeper understanding of what it means to trust God. So let's take a look at this. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. The substance. The, and we talk about the word substance actually being the word foundation. Faith is the foundation of the things that we hope for. It, it is a literal, physical knowledge. It is a, a knowing in your knower. It is a, it's a comprehension beyond comprehension. I just know. I can't prove it. Uh, two plus two equals five. I don't know why I know that, but it just is. Like it, it sometimes contradicts logic or even fact, but faith is the substance. It's the God substance inside of you, the, that which he puts inside of you that you can trust him. The things that we hope for, it's the evidence of the things we have not yet seen. We also learn in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, somehow we got off base a little bit and said, well, no, only, only not doing the things we shouldn't do or doing the things that we should do. Those are the things that please God. But God makes it very clear in his word that loving him is huge. It's the, the number one thing we should be striving for as we try to please him. But the other thing is this, it's, it's trusting him. I believe that no matter what I'm facing today, I have a God who's bigger than it is. I just, I just trust him. It's, it's the substance of things I hope for. It's the evidence. It's in me. It's foundational. It's concrete, poured into the, the holes of who I am. I know that I know that my Redeemer lives, and he's good. I just trust him. So that pleases him. And so the writer of Hebrews then takes us through this journey in Hebrews 11 we call the Hall of Faith. These are the Noahs and the Abrahams and the Isaacs. These are the, all the prophets and the people that, that trusted God, even though circumstances didn't come out for their, you know, for their good. Like they, they weren't released from prison. They were executed. They weren't you know, delivered from the fiery furnace. They died. Like there are, there's a list of people that, that go through really hard times and live to tell about it, but there's also a list of people that go through some really hard times and trust God no matter what? And both of them are applauded in Hebrews chapter 11. And then he makes a statement in Hebrews chapter 12, where he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since so many 
of our heroes, so many of our Noahs and our Moseses and our Abrahams have sat in that chair, put their weight on God, believing that, that he was trustworthy like we would sit in a chair. Since we're surrounded by so many, let us then throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the one that, that pioneered it and the one that settles it, our faith, right? So the example of Jesus is used here powerfully, and I think we need to come back to this as we take our next steps into this. Um, it's saying this, that Jesus started the same race that we we're running, and he finished it, and he, and he finished it well. Paul would say the same thing. I, I run the good race. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And in 2 Timothy, the last chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul speaks in past tense the same way that we, Jesus is being spoken of here in Hebrews. So let's take a look at that as well. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says this. It says, this is how he did it. This is how Jesus got through everything in his life. And here's some clues for us to get through what we're going through today as well. It says this, for the joy set before him. Everybody say before him. Not for, the, not for the turmoil or the chaos or the agony that was in front of him, but for the joy of that day, having endured all of this, opening a door for heaven for you, for me to walk through, being the, the savior of the world. For the joy set before him, he endured what he was going through, which was the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it says this in verse three, it says, consider him who endured such opposition. Consider what Jesus went through and who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary. And I think as we're kind of getting through all the middle stages of this, you know, stay home, stay safe order, I hope it's the middle, middle part of it or, you know, the secondary, the second half of it. Let me just say this. There's a weariness I'm starting to hear um, as I talk to my friends, as we talk to people as we run into friends just on the street. We're just walking the dog, and, you know, it's not a long walk. I've got a bulldog, so we don't go very far. But, but as we run into people, we know, how you doing? Like, oh, I'm just getting so, and you can fill in the rest of that sentence, right, with the people that you know. You're seeing it on social media. People are getting frustrated, maybe even angry at this point, where just, just would someone just make a change? Listen, consider him, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think that's where we are today. Jesus showed us um, how to live. He showed us how to get through this. He knows the way, and he can teach us. He can speak to us. The, the gospels and the epistles can speak to us about how we're to live today, not just to get through it, not just to endure it, but to really prosper, to really thrive during this, this awkward, terrible, horrible, but opportunistic time. There is, it is time for us to do more than just suffer. It's time for us to grow. It's time for us to be tested. It's time for us to expand. So the writer makes two really powerful points that I, I think are very relevant for today. The number one is this. It says, whatever you're going through, Jesus made it through worse. Consider him who went through the same kind of stuff, only, only worse. He actually goes so far in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 12 where he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, he's saying this. Listen, Jesus resisted sin, resisted fear, resisted temptation, resisted anger to the point of his body being shredded and punctured and bruised. Saying, Listen, the one who's leading you, the one who you're fixing your eyes on, he's been through something far worse than this. He knows, listen, whatever you're going through, Jesus knows the way that you need to take to get through it. He has been through something worse. The second thing that the writer of Hebrews says here very clearly is this. There, there's a higher reason, or there, there may be, let me just say it that way, there may be a much higher reason 
for this really difficult set of circumstances. And that's what we're going to explore today. Um, Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6 says this, and, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that, that addresses uh, you as a father addresses a son? It says this in verse 6. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. We're going to get to that in a minute. And he chastens everyone he accepts as sons. So the writer gives us insight, really not into just this hard time, but all hard times. And, and he, he's making a point. Consider this. Now, now look, look at this. It says in verse 7, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not, are not disciplined by their fathers? Now, this may be hard, and I'm not saying if you're going through a really hard time right now, God's disciplining you, but I am saying this. I don't believe for an instant. I've said it from the very beginning of this. God did not send coronavirus to the world. God doesn't have sickness. God does not give sickness. God is the healer of all sickness and all disease. It's in Isaiah 53, verse 5, that by his stripes we are healed. Jesus paid for healing. So sickness is not sent from God. Healing is sent from God. So, but I'll also say this, even though God didn't send this, we do live in a fallen world. There are issues, there are problems, man-made, government-made, Satan-made. I mean, we're, we're not in heaven yet. We're not in hell either. We're in this place in between where everything good and everything evil is converging, and we live right here. It's, it's converging, and we live right here. So we're making decisions. Who do we believe? We're getting beaten, this feels like at times. So what do we do with hard times? What box can we put our pain or our fear, or our confusion into? And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. If you hear nothing I say all day, hear this. He says it's possible that this is not punishment for sin, but this is discipline. Now, discipline is not a word we use very often. When we use it, we, we generally mean punishment. We disciplined our son. We disciplined our dog. We disciplined. But when, when the Bible speaks of discipline, he's saying one of the possible boxes to put this into is that God is training us. God is using opportunities like difficult times to produce in us necessary things, things that we're going to need later on. And if you think about it, there was a time when $5 was all the faith you had, but then there was a $50 need and God came through and your faith grew from $5 to a $50 type faith. And then it was a $500 need. Remember that? And you're like, man, how am I going to do this? God, please help me. And then God came through and now $50 seems like nothing. $5 seems like nothing because your faith has grown. What is it that grew your faith to $500 worth of faith? It's this, it's having a $500 need. It's having a need that's greater than your previous experiences combined and turning to God the same way you turn to him when it was a $5 need, when it was a $50 need, when it was a $100 need, a $250 need. You said, God, you've always been faithful. I'd, I've never been here before, but I, I tr because you've been faithful, I'm just gonna trust you with something bigger than I've ever faced before. And then when God came through, suddenly your faith was a $500 faith. Now that's good news except for the fact there's probably going to be a $1,000 test <laughs> in your future and a $5,000 test in your future. Why? Because we grow from glory to glory and we grow from faith to faith. The need for faith, hear me now, the need for faith grows faith. If there's no need for faith, there's no growth in our faith. So he's saying this, that God's role in our life is to be more than a genie in a bottle that we rub when we have needs and he comes out and says, here's your $500. Here's your miracle. Here, here's your peace. Here's your understanding. Here, when, when God is not like we go to the Bible, we rub it and all of a sudden, right? What's happening is this. There's a relationship and God is training us. He's a father leading us towards maturity. And you've got to hear me. 
as we're facing what we're facing, as you're facing what you're facing right now, you are not facing it alone. God is not absent from you. But what is happening so often, and I'm not saying universally, but the writer of Hebrews gives us an option, a box to put this experience we're going through right now in. And what if God is actually using this as his servant to produce his character and his children? The writer of Hebrews gives us that. So he's a father leading you into what's needed for adulthood. Say, well, Jim, I'm a, I'm a king's kid. I'm a princess. I'm a prince. I'm a, I shouldn't face this. I, I will not take away your, your royalty. You certainly are. We are adopted by the king, and we are royalty. But understand, the king who is over the kingdom, that kingdom is at war. And so there will be training. There will be needs that are beyond our faith, beyond our experience, beyond our, our ability sometimes even to face them. And we're going to have to learn that God is bigger than the mountains as we face these mountains. Now, we're at war, and I've been trained for war, and I will tell you, and those of you that are veterans will tell you as well, those who train you for war are not a cuddly lot. They, they, are, they, they do not snuggle. They don't even say kind words. The kindest thing my drill ever, sergeant ever said to me is, you don't sweat much for a fat boy. I mean, they, they are there to train you for, for the rigors of combat. I'll never forget my introduction to my drill sergeant, Sergeant James T. Washington. Sergeant Washington, round brown, superhuman, just animal. Just he, he came out, and we were standing at what we understood to be attention, terrified, and he gave us a speech that sounded something like this. Your mama is not here anymore. In the next four months, my job before God in this nation is to train you men to become soldiers. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you were. You are a maggot lower than the scum at the bottom of, of the keg of alcohol. You are nothing. You are worthless. And I will train you from this point to become soldiers. Four months from now, if you are still here, you will stand where you stand now, and you'll be known as military police officers for the rest of your life. Your training begins now. And I just sat there going, all I wanted was the college money. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know I was going to run it. I thought it was going to be like uh, Stripes, and I was going to be Bill Murray. But it's not. It's like Officer and a Gentleman, and this is Louis Gossick Jr. If you didn't get that, YouTube it. You'll understand. So I'm just telling you, like, like his job was not to make me feel good about myself. His job was to discipline, to discipline me through things that when I was ready to quit every time, he didn't let me quit. That was his job, just to weed out those who would quit during peace to train you for times of war. And those who quit, they were made examples out of so that no one else had the guts to even quit. James Washington, I, his name, his face, his cologne is etched in, in the adrenalized portions of my brain. If you were to walk into the room right now and say, and I hear that, I just out of reflex. I, like, he freaks me out. This is 30 years later. I'm still terrified of the man, but he trained me for wars. What I'm trying to say is this. If you've had a coach, if you've had a mentor, if you've had a drill sergeant, you know that one of the things that they will use regularly is to push you well beyond what you're comfortable with for the purposes of leading you towards strength you didn't even know you were capable of. Um, a parent's job, guys, it's not to baby our sons, it's to raise men. It's not to baby our, our daughters. It's to raise godly, strong women who can, who can take their place in society, in the church, in the home with, with an integrity, with a strength. I mean, I, I would just say this. If you're single, don't look for pretty. Don't look for handsome. Look for deep. Well, how do people get deep? People get pretty because of DNA. People get deep because of what they've been through. I'm not saying you can't be pretty or handsome and be deep. I am saying this. 
I would rather have the depth of character than the fading beauty of youth because we all know that youth will fade, but character will last. So how do you get character? How do you get strength? How do you, how do you get to the place where you can do 500 push-ups? It's easy. You start with one push-up, and it's hard, but you endure the pain. You do two tomorrow, and then 10 by the end of the week, and then 20 by the end of the month, and then 50 by the end of the year. And you, it's painful, 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 painful. But that pain is, is growing. That discipline is growing in you this ability to do something you couldn't do when you started. Hear me. I believe God will not waste this opportunity to build the kingdom inside of his children. And so let's do what they're saying. But this, this, this ability to, to treat hardships as the discipline of a loving father training us to be better at the end of this than we were walking into this. I believe that with all of my heart. Um, the writer also mentions the word chastening. Discipline means the, the, you know, to, to systematically affect people for their strengthening. But chastening means you screwed up, and, and there's a correction. It's, it's a rebuke. And so it says uh, the word chasing here in the original Greek means to convict or refute, to bring to the light, to expose, to find fault, and to correct. Listen to this. To call to account and even to bring pain. The chastening of the Lord, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've done this yet, but usually when we're under pressure, what squeezes us kind of brings out what's in us. It brings it out of us. Maybe you've lost your temper. Maybe being alone in front of a TV set all day has not brought out the best of you. Maybe fear has brought out the worst in you. But I'd say this, please hear me, that, that whatever it is, God will correct that. He'll bring about a better way to live. He'll bring about a, a better solution to the problem. He'll dig deeper in you because of the squeezing, bring it out. God always knew it was there, but you didn't. So when you lost your cool or you lost it and you gave in or you turned to alcohol and you're drunk with wine rather than being filled with the Spirit, whatever this is, whatever you turn to that's less than, whatever reflex has come out of you during this time of testing, the Lord's there to rebuke you and, and to chasten you, but it's not, it's not to defeat you. It's to expose to you what doesn't yet look like Jesus that can. Hear me. God will never correct something in you uh, except to expose you there's something better for you. Does that make sense? So it's not, aha, I found fault. Aha, and he points his finger at you. God never does that. If God puts his finger on something in you, it's to expose you there's something better for you. Repentance is that door to that something better. So discipline trains us how to succeed and chastening sets us back on the track if we fall off of it. We get right back on, on the wagon, if you will, right? And I hear people say as the music starts to play in the background, you're like, yeah, Jim, I, maybe that's the box that I, but I got to tell you, I, let me be honest with you, I'm really scared. I'm, I'm really angry. I'm really hurt. I'm, I'm really filling the blank. Like this is, this is not a test. My boss was a test. The potty training of the dog was a test. Getting a cut in pay was a test. This, isn't, this is bigger than that. I, this is really hard. Then I want you to hear these words again. Back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12. This could be a life verse for you. You'll understand this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Say, Jim, this is hard. I know it is. I'm going through my own set of things. You're going through your own set of things. I'm aware of them because of pain. It's the pain. It's, it's the, the, the stuff that I'm wrestling with. I'm aware of it because it's painful. I'm not aware of the stove until I put my hand on the stove. Then I'm aware of the heat and the danger, right? The pain. Listen, it says this, no discipline. If God's training you for war, it is an unpleasant process. If your coach is training you for a championship, it is an unpleasant process. If a parent is raising you to clean your room and tell the truth and be responsible and there's discipline involved and there's chastening involved, it's, it's painful. No discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but 
painful, but look at the rest of the verse. Later on, and wherever you are right now, say that with me. Come on, later on. Say it again. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I was prepared for war through a very unpleasant process, but it, there is a harvest of security in, in circumstance because of that training. I was prepared for marriage because of that. I had something to fall back on. When, when I, I was in pain, I knew where to run back to. I was prepared for ministry. It wasn't pleasant. It was hard. And, and sometimes it felt like it was just me and God and no one else understood, but it prepared me for ministry. Everything God allows, there's also a comfort to correspond with it. Second Corinthians talks about uh, chapter one, verse one, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others as they go through the same stuff. The testimonies we have come directly from the tests we've endured. The faith that you have now, think about it. It didn't come because you were born into the faith. You might have traditions, but you don't have faith that you got from your mother or your father or your priest or your pastor. You have faith that comes from trusting your God through hard times. And the stuff that seems so hard then is almost laughable now. Why? Because your faith grew. Because God was faithful. Your faith in him expanded. Listen to me. A drill sergeant, uh, a coach, a trainer, a parent, and God all bring out new strengths in us by testing the strengths we have. I had no idea I could do 40 push-ups. I always quit at eight. And then Sergeant Washington got on his hands and knees next to me and said, give me 10, give me 10, give me 10, give me 10. I was more afraid of him than I was the pain in my arms. But if you understand, literally, I went from eight push-ups, that's all I could do when I joined the Army, to 40 push-ups, and nothing changed except my mentor slash tormentor being right there expecting the best for me. He trained me for war. My father trained me to be a husband and to be a father. My, my mentors in business trained me. When I made a mistake, they said, well, that's an expensive lesson, but you learned it. I, like, pain is my trainer. Pain is your trainer. God will not waste this season. And so I just say this to you um, as my last thought today is, is, again, the music just continues to play. Like, hear my heart, guys. What will you take from this season when it's all over? When, when it's that later on. Later on, however, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained for it. Uh, what, 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 is, what is your later on? What will you take from this season? If you take from this season uh, a C- minus in everything you were tested on, if you take from this season, yeah, I lost my cool. Yeah, I turned to things I shouldn't have. Yeah, I didn't get into the Word. Yeah, I didn't pray. I, yeah, I, I had pouted. Yeah, I, I threw a fit for a month and a half, two months, three months, however long it's going to be. Will you be satisfied with that's, that's what you got out of this? Like every class you'll ever take, like every gym you'll ever join, like every business you'll ever start, you will get out of this what you put into this. I believe with all my heart, God may be training you right now for something greater, and he's not going to waste this opportunity to etch his likeness into you. I close with this story today. There's there's a, a, a tradition of those who smelt metal, those who refine it. They'll put a bunch of stuff, you know, you've seen gold nuggets, but what you don't see is that a gold nugget isn't just a gold nugget. The powder that comes in, if you ever watch like Gold Rush or one of those shows, you'll see some of the nuggets are black and some are gold. Well, that, some of that, what's black isn't gold. There's gold maybe on it or in it, but the black has to be removed before you can call it gold. And the way they refine metal is by melting it. Because gold is very heavy, the impurities rise to the top. 
Those who refine gold know that this is how you know when gold is done cooking. They, as impurities rise to the top, you look at it, you see the impurities, and you remove it. As it melts farther and farther, those things are removed more and more. The impurities rise to the top, you remove it. The one who refines the metal knows that when he looks over the edge of it, if he can see without any hindrance or any blemish or any spot or any wrinkle, his likeness looking back at him, then he knows that the gold is refined. Maybe this season feels like a furnace, and maybe it feels like God's a long ways away. But can I say this to you? Maybe you're just feeling the heat of the refiner. And what he's doing right now is he's looking into your life and your home and your heart and your finances and your in, in your peace or the lack thereof. And until he sees his likeness looking back at him, it is merciful, it is kind, it is right of him to allow heat to come so that that which can be shaken can be removed, that which is useless, that which has no value to you can be removed. Maybe God will allow tests to continue until he wins in our life until we submit, until we recognize it's not the cruelty of the devil, but maybe it's the kindness of a father training us to be just like him. If you're not right with God right now, maybe it's bringing out some of that stuff. And I would just simply say to you, if that's, if that's you right now, right where you are, just pray this with me. Just say, Jesus, I, I don't know a lot, but I know that I'm not right. I'll even go so far as to say that I'm wrong. I ask you, to give me a clean slate and a fresh start. Everything that stands between my heart and yours, I give you permission to melt me in a furnace so that all that stuff can rise to the top so that it can be repented of, removed, forgotten, so that when you look at me, what you see is a reflection of your son Jesus looking back. Holy Spirit, do a great work in me during these days. I do not suffer for nothing. I am not in a crucible for no reason. I trust you, God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I just simply say this. Get ready. Knowing that you're in a war, um, knowing that you need to be trained, knowing that there's victory on the other side of this, it's all part of it. That's the box I've been putting this in. God is not wasting this opportunity to make me more like him. And I trust that God is doing great things in your life as well. In the meantime, Freedom Center, we are one day, one week, one Sunday closer being back together again. I love you. We pray for you. We miss you. We know that this is temporary and we're going to get out of this. We know we're getting through it one day at a time. But I do look forward to gathering in this room together very soon and singing the praises of God together again. So in the meantime, this is the best we got and it's good. God is good. I love you. Live long, prosper.